when you're in the crisis, when you're in the storm, whatever it is, is, is can I trust him? Yeah. Is he good? Yeah. Does his word hold true? Yeah. You see in, Gen- in Genesis 3 how a serpent, the serpent deceived Eve and through her got to Adam. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. I'm not going to preach Genesis 3 to you today. Just a few headlines. Notice how God's word and God himself were dealt with in the situation. The serpent, Satan, questioned what God has said. Has God said that? He then denied what God has said. No, 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 no. He didn't say that. And then he misrepresented God's motives. Now he knows if you eat of the tree, you'll become like him. He, he's holding out on you. He's not letting you have something that would be good for you. He misrepresented God's motives or God's heart. And then sadly I need to say as well that Eve added to what God had said. Because God had said, don't touch it lest you die. He said, don't eat of it lest you die. No, touching it didn't come into it. But it, she, it got added there somehow. It's a dangerous thing. It's, it's cursed in the end of the book of Revelation to either add to or take away from God's word. We must believe about God what he tells us about himself, albeit it's sometimes uncomfortable to us. We wish he was more like this. And I've got books on my shelves of people who say, oh, God can't really be like that. Well, he is, because he says he is. He's the I am, not what you want me to be. We have to negotiate with a God who isn't always quite what's comfortable to us. Like fire, for instance. Get to that in Hebrews 12. We must believe what God says about himself in the scriptures. If we depart from the truth of scripture, you can make a God whatever you want him to be. And people do that. It's called Christianity today. An invented God is an idol. He's a non-God. Now, it's not my task today to work through Genesis 3, so we just need to simply say this. Adam failed the test of obedience of faith. And the issue is much deeper than rule-keeping. The question asked of every man and woman since Adam and Eve is basically that. Will you trust your Creator? Is He good? Will you trust His Word? Now, we come to Abraham. It was Abraham's time to be tested. He'd already been tested before. He'd passed some tests. He'd failed others. The Bible's very honest about all of that with us. But this test was huge. Offer up your son as a burnt offering. Isaac. 
So this is about faith to lose, to offer up what is dear to you. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He went through with it, almost. We're going to start to read through some of Genesis 22. There was nothing more dear, let me say this before we start, there was nothing more dear in all creation to Abraham than this promised son. He'd waited till he was nearly 100 to have him. His wife was 90. And they had this son, this dear promised son. And years later, God says to him, I want you to offer him up. It is in Genesis. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. You can't get around that. God was doing it. And said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then God said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Stop a moment. Do you notice the language there that God uses? Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Anybody recognize the language? How many of you know John 3.16 by heart? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, Abraham offering up his son was a foreshadow, a picture of God giving his son, Jesus Christ. There's more to say about that in a little while. Let's go back to the subject for the moment of testing. When we come to times of trouble and affliction, you can blame the devil if you wish, but the devil won't get you out of it. The only person who's able to help you and get you through it is the Lord himself. It's a test of faith. Will you call on him? Will you trust him? Will you depend upon him? Will you obey him? Will you hold on for his help? Even rather than try to duck out of it your own way. In Deuteronomy 8, towards the end of their journeyings, the the Lord says to Israel, he led them 40 years in the wilderness to humble them, to test them, and to show what was in their heart. Now that's kind of a double thing. He, he revealed what was in the heart, but then he can work to reform what's in the heart. It's not all bad news. Yeah? That's why God tests us. Because he leads us in it and through it. He humbles us because we, we think we're big guys and we can do it on our own. He tests us. He tests our faith. And he shows, reveals, and then reforms what is in Uh So let me put it to you this way. This test asks this question of Abraham. Did he love God more than he loved Isaac? Because God said, give me Isaac. Very few of us are happy to be tested in these sort of ways. We'll come to that in Hebrews 12. But it's only tested faith and character that becomes mature and strong faith and character. See, you think of the, the athlete or the weightlifter. I'm really, really strong. I'm really, really strong. Well, lift up those 150 kilo barbells there. See, the test proves it. And the more you're tested, the stronger you become. 
The test reveals our heart. Our enduring and coming through the test increases our faith and our obedience and our character. Here's John, uh, jo- James. I could have brought quite a few New Testament scriptures, but just this one will be all right for now. James says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you enter into various trials. We need to hear that because we go, (laughs) Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect, complete would be a better word there, complete result, so that you may be complete perfect and complete. You may be mature. You may come to maturity, lacking in nothing. Remember, we don't hold with that faith in your faith nonsense. This is faith in God. The object of faith is the Lord himself. Faith looks to him. So, by faith, Abraham looked to the goodness and faithfulness of God. Remember, the test is, can you trust him? Will you trust him? And Abraham looked to the goodness of and faithfulness of God. He knew that God was faithful, which is really connected to the word truthful. God is truthful. He has integrity. He doesn't lie. doesn't deceive. What God had said he would do, he'd done. He'd rescued Lot. He'd destroyed Sodom. He'd given Isaac. You know, all the, already there's a pathway, a, a journey that Abraham's been on where he, God has said and God has done. God has said and God has done. So he's coming to, God telling him to offer up Isaac and he's, he's having to reckon with that one. We'll come to that in a minute. Abraham knew that he had to choose to trust in the goodness and truthfulness of God. Even when he was commanded to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice, blood, fire, death. How could he choose to trust? Because God had said. Your heir, the promised son, is not Ishmael. Ishmael was born of the flesh, Isaac was born of the spirit. But Isaac. Isaac was the heir of promise and would continue the prophetic line, the seed of Abraham. We just read in Hebrews, he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. And it was he, Abraham, to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall we be called. So Abraham had to hold on to the words of God. Isaac was the promised heir, not Ishmael, not another son, not a replacement and to be born, another one to be born. He had to hold on to God's word, God's promises. Again, Deuteronomy 8. Why did God humble them and test them in the desert? So that they might learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's where Abraham was right here. He had to hold on to what God had said. Remember, the serpent misrepresented both the words and the character of God. We need to be careful how we handle the word and the words of God. Let me just give you these headlines. We'll come back to them another time. The scriptures are his words from his mouth. All scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is spoken out by God. When we speak out his word, that is the scripture, those are words of prophecy and words of preaching, yes? We declare that the Lord has said, that the Lord is saying. He puts his word in our mouth. God said to Jeremiah, I'll put my words in your mouth. It's a wonderful thing when you know that the Holy Spirit is putting his words in your mouth. But don't go anywhere near putting your words in his mouth. (laughs) 
Do you know what that's about? It's all that decreeing and declaring thing. You have an idea that you'd like something to happen. So you, de- you declare it and say, no, I've said it, so God's got to do it. No, no, no. Those were your words in your mouth. Don't claim them as being his words in your mouth. When preachers and pastors, however well-meaning, say we're going to pray for brother or sister so-and-so and this sickness is not into death and a week or two later they're gone. Uh, that was, I was putting my words in his mouth. I need to own up to that. If it was his word, he would have done it. Yes? Do you understand? And there's a great confusion in the church of God today because people think we can invent something and blame God for it. He's got to do it now because I've said it. What nonsense! His words from his mouth. His word in our mouth, but never put our words in his mouth. Now let's come back to Abraham. Faith has to reckon, has to reason. Faith reasons. We read it here. We get some insight into Abraham's mind and heart in this trial of faith. It says he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from whom also, from which also he received Isaac back as his type. The word considered is a Greek word that, from which we get uh, uh, logical and logarithm. It's to, it's to reason, it's to think it through, it's to even to do the sums and reckon it out. Abraham did his sums And he calculated it all out. And he came up with this answer. Now listen to this. This is what he reasoned to. Okay, God wants me to offer up Isaac. Isaac is the child of promise. He's the seed through whom I will have many nations. And through whom all the seeds, the nations of the earth will be blessed. So here it is. Okay, best answer I can come to. If I kill him, God's got to raise him. He's got to do that. Because there's no other way. He reckoned it out, reasoned it through and said, God is going to have to reverse whatever he's told me to do and put it back straight again. Otherwise, then what he first said, what he's already said, isn't true. He reckoned it out, reasoned it through, calculated it through. There couldn't be another Isaac. And God had told Abraham to kill Isaac, so if necessary, God was going to have to raise this Isaac from the dead. And in a way, that's what happened. The raising of Isaac from the altar, not having been killed, but having been saved, was a type of Jesus being raised from the dead. The picture, of course, is not perfect. Isaac didn't die. Jesus did die. He lay three days in the tomb before his resurrection demonstrated him to be the Son of God with all authority in heaven and earth. But that's what the New Testament writer to the Hebrews is saying when he says that Abraham received him back as a type. The word type there is an Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality. And Isaac being untied and getting off the altar was a picture of Jesus coming back from the dead. It's time to read a bit more Genesis 2.22. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the Borov. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. That's a statement of faith, isn't it? So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife 
And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Look, the the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went on together. Let's stop there a moment. I've just said to you that faith that reasons, that has to argue it out. Every Christian at some point in life, and maybe many points in life, will have to sit down and argue out faith. I'm going to trust God, and this is why I'm going to trust God, because he has said. Because I've had this journey. I've known his hand upon me, and I'm not going to let go of that. You have to argue it out. But faith is also, at times, unreasonable. It's not logical to do what God says in faith. And even though Abraham reasoned it through, binding your grown son, putting him on an altar of burnt offerings, and holding a knife to his throat is a very unreasonable thing to do. The Lord will at times ask us to do things that are not logical and not safe, but are risky. In fact, preachers have said well before me that faith is spelled R-S-K, R-I-S-K. If you can't fail, there's no faith. And even when we are thinking, no, this is a bit of risk, the world's opinion, my, who cares? Well, let's go to it a moment. The world's opinion will be like this, that what we do in obedience to God just doesn't add up. You go to church... You read the Bible, you pray, you tithe, you practice sexual morality and honesty, you, you don't rip anybody off. What are you people? We're Christians. We live by faith. So you can think it's unreasonable and illogical and daft, but we live by faith. Let's read on as Abraham arrives at the mountains, the hills. They're only hills, they're not big mountains. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. If you got my notes in front of you, you said I put the knife over his chest, then I realized, of course, this picture's completely right. If you're making an offering, you slit its throat. You don't stab an offering in the chest, you slit the throat. There is Abraham, his grown son bound on wood, on a stone altar, with a knife to his throat. And at that moment, The angel of the Lord, now that's interesting because the angel of the Lord is Jesus in the Old Testament, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. Sounds familiar. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. Lad means young man. That's not a good translation of that word there. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns, caught in a bush. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mountain 
of the Lord, it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you. And multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. And they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. There is God again using the words concerning Abraham and his son, Isaac, that the shadow God giving up his son, Jesus, to the cross. Now let me tell you just a few more things. I've listed them all there. When this happened, despite most of the pictures in picture Bibles and storybooks and all the rest of it, it must be very distressing for children seeing a little boy on an altar, you know, Isaac was about 30. He was a grown man, a young man. He was about 30. I've given all sorts of reasons why we argue that. Secondly, Isaac carried his wood. He was big enough and old enough to carry all the wood necessary to burn a human body as a sacrifice, as an offering. He wasn't five or six, was he? To carry all that wood. Split lengths of timber. When they got to the altar, and they built it together somewhat, Isaac submitted to being bound. He was big enough and old enough and strong enough to have pushed his dad out of the way. Or at least have gone, no, 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 no. But he submitted to his father. Isaac was offered on a hilltop in what is known, we know now as Jerusalem. There are seven hills in Jerusalem. One of them is called Moriah. It's where the temple stood and where the Islamic Dome of the Rock with the Golden Dome stands today. That's Mount Moriah. Isaac was replaced by a lamb so that Isaac came back from that time of sacrifice alive. Now, take all of those Substitute the name Isaac with the name Jesus. Jesus was actually 33 when he was offered up for us. Jesus was made to carry his cross, probably the cross piece of it, up the hill out of Jerusalem to Golgotha. He was too weak from all the torture that he'd already been through and so they recruited a man called Simon of Cyrene. Cyrene's in North Africa. Simon may have been a black man to carry the cross in his place. Isaac submitted to his father. Jesus submitted to his father. And you see that in Gethsemane, one of the most moving, other than the crucifixion itself, the moving passages of Scripture. Jesus bows down, kneels down before the father, sweats great drops of blood from his brow, as he struggles, as he reasons it through, but he can't find another way through. He says, but your will be done. Is there another way than this? Nevertheless, your will be done. He submitted himself to the Father's will. Jesus was offered on a hilltop in Jerusalem. Now, here's an interesting thing. God told Abraham, go to Moriah, and when you get there, I'll tell you which hill. 
So, although by tradition, Jewish tradition, Islamic tradition, Abraham offered Isaac on Mount Moriah, the Bible doesn't actually say that. It says one of the hills of Moriah. It is possible that Jesus was crucified on the same hillside that Isaac was offered up. Golgotha, in the area of Moriah. But Jesus was not replaced by a lamb. He was and is the lamb of God. And having made full and final sacrifice for all sin for all time, Jesus was brought back alive from the dead and rejoined his disciples. And that, my friend, is the gospel. It's the gospel. The gospel of Jesus. The offering of the Son. The provision of a lamb. The completion of the sacrifice. The heir raised again to life. You think of the pronouncements that Jesus made. You know, he's the Son of God, therefore the heir of God. And when he rises from the dead, what is the claim he makes about himself? All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Now you're either God or a megalomaniac to say that. Mm-hmm. This gospel is the power of God for everyone who will believe. God put his friend Abraham to severe test. And one great purpose hidden to Abraham in that test was that God was getting Abraham to act out the gospel centuries before, to act it out. The offering of the son, the provision of the lamb, the sacrifice completed, the heir raised to life. God provided on a hill his own lamb as the full and final sacrifice for your reconciliation, your restoration, your reforming to be and to live as a child of God. He gave his son to the world and for the world. And he calls you and I to faith and obedience to his son, the risen heir. To believe and obey him is life. To reject him is death. Carol and I went to a concert last night in Hodgson called Adoramus. We did put the literature out there. Uh, it was an Easter music concert. We thought, great, wonderful. What we didn't realize, it was effectively a gospel concert. Not in terms of the style of the music, but the, the, the whole thing was woven together to tell the story of Jesus. And they had a very good narrator with a very good script who just told you all about the events of you know, the upper room, Last Supper, the crucifixion, the, the, the arrest, the crucifixion, Silent Saturdays they called it, and then the resurrection of Jesus. And, 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 and you know, one guy in the corner said, Amen, I was, I behave myself. But, <laughs> but it was, it, I said to Carol, that was good for my soul on every kind of level. The music was lovely, but the gospel was even better. The gospel is good news not just for those who are not yet Christians. The gospel is good news for us day by day. Every day we need to be feeding on this good news of Jesus Christ. My sacrifice, my saviour, my redeemer, my lord, my king, my master. 
And Christian, what are you going through? All right? You already heard something about that through Carol earlier on. You know, some trials and troubles in life we make for ourselves. And if you ask the Lord for his help, he'll probably take you back to get it straight. Yeah? But others, he leads us into. He takes us there. You might not like that, but that's the truth. Some tests God takes us into. He puts them before us. And he will lead us through them if we will trust him and obey him. So what is the Lord not leading just you to, but through? Remember the promise of through Isaiah. When you go through the waters, they will not overflood you. When you go through the fire, it won't burn you. Why? Because he led you to it, he's going to lead you through it. That's his promise. And what do you do when, when, when life gets tough? You hold on to the promises of God. You argue, you reason for faith. So let me give you some advice now. You may not welcome it. But it will help you if you negotiate it. Treat what you're going through right now as your faith being tested. Your trust, your obedience, your devotion to God himself above your own life and possessions and reputation and whatever else. You see, we find out how much something really matters to us, how dear it is to us, how much we love it when we are close to losing it. Offer up your son. At that moment, Abraham had to realize, I just might be loving Isaac more than I love God. But when God reveals your heart in the test, it's not to leave you there, it's so that he can work to reform your heart. To remake it, to put it straight. We realize how much we love something when we're close to losing it. But the one thing we cannot lose is the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because he says so. It is written. So saints, I'm just going to quote a whole heap of psalms to you in a moment here. Love the Lord. Commit your way to him. Engage with him and ask him for his instructions and his directions. He will take you through all life's tests. Because the bottom line again and again is this. We looked at it a week or two ago. We are pilgrims on a journey to inherit what we cannot lose. Our eternal inheritance as the children of God. But on the way there, if there are things that we gather to us which are more dear to us than what really matters, there will be times when what is dear to us gets shaken. When the test comes. You can blame the devil if you like, but the devil won't help you. My help comes from the Lord.
Sometimes God needs to get our attention. And we, we're drifting along, or even motoring along, you know. And he speaks to us, and we're not really listening, and so in the end, there's an obstacle. There's a boom! <laughs> something goes off in front of us, and we go, what did that come from? And God says quietly, are you listening now? Do I have your attention now? We may not like this truth, but God tests his children because he wants to increase their faith. He wants them to become more devoted, more obedient, and therefore to have more joy, more peace in believing. Interesting. Let's pray together. so glad the, the days of blood sacrifices are over fulfilled all completed all in Jesus so you won't ask any one of us to do what you asked Abraham but nevertheless Lord we each of us face at different times and some experiencing right now times of trial times of testing maybe for some of us we need to do our reckoning what is this? What's going on? What is God saying to me? How should I respond? Well, Lord, your word says to us that when we're in the difficulties, you are teaching us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Therefore, Lord, we are hungry, eager, to be reminded by the Holy Spirit, by your grace, of what you have said. Of what you have promised. So that we are willing to lose whatever is filling our hands to take hold with all our hearts of your word and trust you. Now Lord, would you please seal your truth to our hearts. You call us your children you delight in our living by faith. And a great part of that is we live according to your word. Every word of God is pure and true. Sound for helping us to live in a godly way. Stir our hearts, Lord, to give attention to your word. I thank you for so many doing their daily Bible readings or listening to them on the smartphone. Your word opens our eyes. Your word gives us light. Where would we be if it wasn't for your word to us, Lord? It's a precious thing. May now the Holy Spirit strengthen your hearts through faith. Through faith. It's in trusting God that you will find your peace. You can have peace in the middle of a storm so long as Jesus is in the boat with you. You know that, don't you? He will comfort and strengthen your hearts through faith. The I am with you doesn't change. His promises of his person and his protection 
and his provision do not change. And there are times to be making positive confession, by which I mean don't put your words in his mouth, but let his word be in your mouth. Repeat the promises of Scripture and say, I'm trusting, that's what you say, Lord, I'm trusting you for that. I'm trusting you. I'm hanging on for your help, Lord. The Lord always honours faith. I know I'm prophesying, I'm praying. But the Lord always honours faith. He delights in it. The first man he made was given a test of faith and failed. Can you imagine how God delights over those children who pass his tests when he gives them? How he rejoices over, hey, they trusted me. They committed their way to me. (laughs) God delights in children who pass their tests. You. His dear children. We commend our way to you, Lord. We commend ourselves to you, Lord. We say with King David, all we have is yours. What can we give you? All we have is yours. Our lives are in your hands. We often foolishly imagine we've taken charge of them again, but it's not true, never true. Our lives are in your hands. Our days, our hours are yours. Thank you, Father. It may be that you this morning are coming. You're not yet a believer. You're not yet a Christian. I've told you this morning how what God asked Abraham to do was unknown to Abraham at the time and acting out of the gospel the son to be slain, the son to be raised, the son who would go on to be the full-blown heir and inherit all that his father gave him. That's Jesus. And that Jesus did all that for you. Will you not turn your life, your heart, over to him today and confess him as God, King and Saviour? Take my life, Lord Jesus. It's yours, Lord. You bought it. It belongs to you. Say that from your heart to him right now. Let that be your prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord.